Welcome to the Anchored by Faith podcast, a Reformed Baptist podcast with the goal to hold to Scripture to be conformed to the image of God. My name is Colton Wright, and my co-host over here... Logan Batisti. Batisti. Batisti, Batisti, Batisti. There you go. Do the echo. <sighs> so, what's up with you, Logan? How things been? Things have been going pretty well. We went on vacation to the Ark Encounter, and we went to the Creation Museum, and we had a lot of fun camping with family. I mean, it was kind of hard camping on a hill, but... It's supposed to be a city on a hill. I don't know about camping on a hill. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely see our campfire on a hill, so <laughs> I guess we were a light to the people. <laughs> That's good. It helps. This was the second time you've been to the Ark. Yeah, this was... The second time, uh, they've added a lot more to the Ark since we've been. The zoo is actually open this time. They have like a welcoming center where they have like their auditorium and stuff now. Mm. It wasn't just the one that's in the Ark Encounter itself, but its own separate thing. And then they had a playground. (laughs) They have a buffet on campus. You know, I don't really think the original Ark had those things. No, but I mean... It's really cool that you can see something that's actually life-size of what the Ark was supposed to look like. Yeah. I really like how they kind of took it upon, like, this is how it could have been done. You know, they're pretty honest with, you know, we don't know, but this is a way, and it looks like that's exactly how it could have been. Like, it's really practical. it's pretty clever. There's a lot of stuff I hadn't really thought of before. Yeah. I mean, how do you think of feeding... And giving water to so many people where you wouldn't have to do it almost every day. Yeah. Stuff stuff that we take for granted with our pets now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just can't, you know, when the whole world's flooded, you can't just run to Walmart to pick up some giraffe food. (laughs) Yeah. So that's pretty neat. I I like like how they did that. And even the the gardens, that was really fascinating to me, how they have the gardens Mm -hmm. displayed above Right, on that third level. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was awesome. That was just cool. Yeah, it's just interesting to see like a mixture between science and religion. I mean, we talk about growing up, the Ice Age, we talk about dinosaurs, mm-hmm. but it gets out of left, left out of Christianity how those kind of coincide. Because mm-hmm. we know that those things were there and we have evidence for that, but the Bible doesn't clearly state about what happened with these things. Yeah, you get these side glances, uh, Leviathan and uh, Behemoth and Scripture, and, you know, that's kind of just it. But to see what Ken Ham and them have done at the Ark, where they really put that on display, like how that could have happened, science behind it, I don't know, really bolstered, you know, my faith in that. Right, for sure. So what's been going on in your life? You went on vacation too. Yep, went on vacation too, went to Virginia. Got to spend some time with some family, watch uh, niece graduate. Pretty good time. Declan started walking. So have fun with that one. Yeah, well, he only does it when he sees something that he wants. So Oh, that's... Usually it's a dog. Um, that's the only but reason. But you have four dogs. He doesn't care about those dogs, interestingly. Oh, yeah. but it's other dogs that yeah. you have to watch out for. Well, it's like he never cares about our dogs, but Roman brings over her oh, dogs and yeah. it's just dog, dog. And I was like, well, you have dogs. What? Obi and Jericho? Yeah. yeah. I was like, you have dogs. What? But 
kids. Yeah, what are you going to do about them? What are you going to do without them? Yeah. He's quite the card, but <clears throat> besides that, we've just been kind of synchroning in. We got the pool up. Yeah, we had a little... I mean, I got here late to the party and didn't swim as long as you guys, but... Uh, I didn't swim much after. <laughs> as, when you saw me, I was just jumping into the water. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't been in the water yet. Whew, yeah, it was chilly. It's a little cold. But it wasn't too bad once you get used to it. No, no. Tried to play some water volleyball. That didn't work out very well. Did not work out. Maybe we need to get one of those trampoline nets and so, put it around there. That's what Mike said, and I think it's a genius idea. Then we could do, like, UFC inside the pool. So how does that work with submission and holds? Eh, I, I guess you get better tap out real fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Choke holds are easy. Headlines tomorrow are, man drowns underwater trying to imitate UFC. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Scratch that. Let's not do UFC. Maybe that's maybe that's not a good idea. But good fun time. So, so we finished up two series now, right? Mm-hmm. And we're kind of doing a buffer series in between this one and our ne- next one, which is going to be church, not church, church discipline. Why do I keep saying <laughs> that every time? I don't know. I I guess <laughs> you want to talk about church discipline. Maybe I need church discipline. Do you, need church, do you want to get something off your chest? Not on the air. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, we're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines coming up. And right now, we're just going to kind of do a free banter episode for you guys where we don't have a strict schedule set up. We got some catechisms I've pulled out here in between the Heidelberg, the Westminster, and the New City Catechism. And maybe there's one more. I don't remember. But <laughs> those three were the ones that stick out. And we might open up to some random ones, point to a random question, and just go from there and see where the discussion takes us. Maybe something else is on our hearts that we want to talk about. We're just going to kind of leave it up in the air tonight and have some fun with it. Yeah. How about for starting... What is a catechism? A catechism, on the hand, other hand, is something that is pretty much a piece of paper or, man, paper just really doesn't, like, a writing tool that's been written out because, like, book and articles don't really cover it. More like a, a structured... A structured question and answer sheet. Based off of usually a confession right. of some sort. So, you know, like a... Um, Keech's catechism is based off, I believe, the Second London Baptist Confession. Mm-hmm. And it just takes the statement of faiths in the confession and boils them down to quick question and answers. Right. I don't know what the New City Catechism is based off of. I have not delved into that one, so. I know it kind of recites off of the Apostles' Creed, but that's about it. Hmm. The Heidelberg, I believe, is a Swiss confession. I'm having to recall that. It's been a yeah. been a minute. And I mean, of course, the Westminster Larger and Shorter are based off the Westminster Confessions of Faith. Mm-hmm. So there is a question of why catechisms, because as Baptists, we don't really touch on catechisms. No. All we need is our Bible. That we don't want to look like Presbyterians and Catholics. <laughs> don't want to look like the baby sprinklers. <laughs> no, you know, but what's interesting is... I 
don't know about you, Logan, but when I came to faith later in life, I was kind of under the impression, you know, nothing but the Bible and that's all you need and, and so on and so forth. And that is true. But confessions really should encapsulate what Scripture says. And they were used throughout the ancient church for the purpose of knowing where someone was doctrinally. Because before, you know, standard seminary education, or really even after seminary education, just because you go to seminary at some school doesn't mean that you hold all the beliefs that school teaches. So a quick, easy way to know what someone believes would be to ask what confession they hold to. That was one interesting thing. They talked about early church history, about traveling or itinerant preachers. How they wanted to know they were orthodox was the Apostles' Creed. Do you hold to the Apostles' Creed? And then they would have to recite it. They could recite the Apostles' Creed, then they would, you know, they could validate them. Also, uh, um, later on with the Nicene Creed and others. So those creeds, kind of you can think of as smaller versions of confessions. They really are. Right. It was kind of, I was listening to one podcast and they were talking about this idea of uh, confessions of faith and how as Reformed Baptists, we like to look towards confessions and think, and Baptists typically throughout history have been a confessional people, right? Mm-hmm. But nowadays we kind of lean more, and yes, technically confessions are partly tradition, but we go on more word of mouth and just reciting back what we've heard more than going back to these things and looking of where they got these confessions and stuff out of scripture. Mm-hmm. While some things like, what is the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Okay, somebody points back towards one thing, and you can point towards a few scriptures, but you can't really explain it. Mm-hmm. Like a question I was thinking about the other day is, how do we explain what it means to walk by the Spirit? Mm-hmm. That's what confessions are made to mm-hmm. make sure that you can explain things, not just in application wise, but also like doctrine and theology mm-hmm. are both pretty concise. You can really summarize and, and help people when it comes to, I put it this way a confession is something that many of our forefathers have sit down with scripture and hammered out. And for us to ignore what maybe they have to said is kind of foolish because they've wrestled with scripture. And, you know, we shouldn't think that we're in somehow a more superior standing now than they were then. Right. Doesn't mean that we have to hold what they say as absolute God breathed words, but we should reflect upon it, meditate on it. You know, it's not, a confession is not like uh, a church council when it comes to Roman Catholicism, where a church council can hold absolute authority. It's more like a guideline, a basis, a bumpers, I guess you could say. It helps. Right. What catechism do you want to dive into first? I don't know. You've got the new city sitting right there. Okay. I'll start know. with that one. I don't really know much about that, so... All right, holding it under the table. This is going to be totally random. Do, 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 do. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Question number 22. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? Oh. Answer. 
that in human nature he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin, and also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Well, this is where we either become men of heretics <laughs> or men with hairy ticks. <laughs> men with hairy ticks, yeah. <laughs> we see Jesus only appeared to have, no. He, he uh, that was actually one of the early controversies, though, is that Jesus, you know, the early Gnosticism, Jesus only appeared to have a body. And because you have this dichotomy between flesh being bad and spirit being good, and so Gnostics said that Jesus only appeared to have a body because if he actually had a body, that was bad. And we see in Scripture, this was, Gnosticism wasn't something that was uniquely Christian. It has basically infiltrated Judaism. It infiltrated even the pagan religions. But when it came to Christianity, that's what it specifically did. And that heresy as it came up we can see through scripture john dealt with it he's interacting with it a little bit and first and second john uh, believe that jude is probably interacting with a form of gnosticism of some sort so and so we see that the the apostles bit down the fact that christ truly was human he had to taste exactly what we tasted he had to feel what we felt so that he could be our true substitute because as can't remember the guy's name I heard, but he wasn't just a holy burrito. He really felt our pain. He truly felt our suffering. Right. And I mean, you get to those ideas and you kind of get to where Jesus had to be truly human because he had to be in some parts. Well, it's so hard to go about this and not like you, you carefully choose your words because you want to make sure that you don't sound like you're going off into some <laughs> yeah, heresy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it kind of scares people when you get to talking about these things, because, yeah. I mean, this is what people hammered out for two centuries before us and mm-hmm. probably for another centuries afterwards until Jesus comes back. We tend to think of Jesus as, I mean, that catechism, there's so many, I mean, it captures the, the gist of it, but there's so much there. You know, I think uh, listening to Douglas Wilson, I just finished When the Man Comes Around, and he mentions I think it was in the book or in one of his lectures about Jesus rummaging through the fridge, you know, to eat something. Or when he's raised from the dead, where do they find him? Where do the apostles encounter him? On the beach, on the seashore. Mm-hmm. And what is he doing? He's cooking. Right. Why was he cooking? To eat. He, he was eating because he was hungry. He was eating because he was human. Even in his glorified body, he was still human. He still had our hungers. Um, he our had hungers. Our- so on and so forth. And he had to have those things in order to be that perfect sacrifice, just as in the Old Testament, the lambs that were sacrificed really can't atone for your sins. Why? Because they're a lamb. That lamb isn't you. The lamb didn't commit the sins that you did. The The lamb can't sympathize with your pains. The lamb can't I mean, I don't know the the nervous systems of a lamb, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it can feel pain, I'm sure. I'm sure it can feel pain, but, you know, when it stubs its hoof, I don't, you know, think that it's the same as stubbing your toe. Right. Kind of like the way the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it. It says, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body 
and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance and born of her, yet without sin. I mean, that's the intrinsic part about the way that Jesus is born is, yes, he is fully God and fully human. But in order to be that perfect sacrifice for us, he can have no sin. Mm-hmm. So where he can be the ultimate Passover lamb, he can be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins to atone and propitiate for us. Mm-hmm. And that beautiful term that you use, propitiate, to appease, to remove the wrath, usually of a deity or those bestowed, and such a word that's lost in today's society. Mm-hmm. You look and it starts originally with Adam, of course. Mm-hmm. And Adam was given this opportunity to work with God, worship God, mm-hmm. to be, quote unquote, a son of God. Mm-hmm. And ultimately he fails and blames it on his wife. The wife blames it on the snake. And ultimately is their own responsibility. Mm-hmm. And you see how that determines humanity for a while. God can't live, can't walk among them. Mm-hmm. He has and, to banish them from the garden that they, that they they were in. Right. His presence, his very presence. Mm-hmm. And so he tries again. The world grows complete, terribly wicked. And God sends the flood. Mm-hmm. And God sets apart Noah to carry on that mantle. But what happens again? Sin is still there. Mm-hmm. Noah becomes drunk and his sons see him in his drunkenness and nakedness. Um, whatever that means, particularly mm-hmm. of why that is such a sin. But there's speculations on that. So it continues on and you go until Abraham. Mm-hmm. God again sets a people apart to become his people. And Abraham has his failings as well. So does his son Isaac. Mm -hmm. So does his son Jacob. And lo and behold, Joseph is the last one that we really hear about in Genesis. But the thing that we tend to forget is, yes, Joseph is a big part of that story. But Joseph isn't the seed of promise. He's not the one who continue on to the line of the throne yeah, that's a really good point. We tend to think of Joseph as the headline of the story, but that character in the background there, really the one who, I don't know, interestingly enough to me, shows the most, whose character flaw is most shown in that story, which is Judah. Oh, I was thinking you were going to go back to Jacob. Well, I, well... <laughs> Because his, yeah, Jacob, sh- yes. his Jacob, son yes. show you how much of a character flaw he is as Jacob, a father. Yes, yes. And but how- I was thinking of Judah, how mm-hmm. Judah sleeps with his his daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, to make it even worse, he didn't, sleeping with your daughter-in-law, obviously that's terrible, but he didn't give the promise of the son to her. Oh, I mean, if we really want to go down that line, I mean, Let's just start off with the, let's just, you get the first four of Jacob's children, right? Mm -hmm. So Reuben's the oldest. He sleeps with his father's concubine. Basically uncovering his father's nakedness. Right. Mm -hmm. And then trying to claim. 
right line for himself. Yeah. yeah. And then I think it's Levi and Simeon are the other ones. Mm-hmm. They go around. Their sister is raped, basically. Uh, Dinah? Yeah, I think, or Diana or something or, like yeah, that. Yeah. Or Dana. But their sister is raped. Their father won't really do anything about it. Yeah. And so they're like, they come up with this plan is like, okay, you can have our sister if you go and circumcise yourself. Mm-hmm. And then we can be peoples together. And so all the men of this village do that. And then Simeon and Levi basically just go off and kill them all while they're in pain. Yeah. While they're down recouping after they circumcised them. Right. Yeah. So pretty much throwing off and showing how inadequate they are for this seed of promise. Yeah. They lied. You look at the story right there and you're like, Jacob, you should have done something. And, oh, you know, Levi and, and Simeon are doing something, but they do it in a definitely not a good way. Right. I mean, it's kind of, it's really showing off their father's own cleverness, basically, on back into him. I mean, it's kind of a roundabout way of how his ideals and things pass on. Mm -hmm. They posed a good question in a discussion post once. Do you think it was right or wrong for Jacob not to do anything? Man, that's tough. I don't know. And then someone posed the question, do you think that Jacob possibly was waiting for God to exact revenge. Mm. And I was like, the text doesn't indicate that, but it doesn't say much. There's a lot of speculation there. And I mean, we're not saying that Judah is any better to start with. No, he, I mean, he's not he, good. He sleeps with his supposed to be daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. thinking that she's a cult prostitute. Which makes to me makes it even worse. In he, fact, I'm pretty sure that he's also the one who really incited about selling his brother to make mm-hmm. money joseph originally yeah and i mean you, you you jump back and forth in the story because you have reuben who's the one who seems like the better character he he does because he's the one that tries to say joseph in a way you know quote unquote in in a way there's not really a good way to put it and Really, he's not. He he is not the good guy. And then you see Judah, who was all in for selling his brother into slavery, for killing his brother, let's be honest, for, for killing his brother first off. Right. And then selling him into slavery. He's like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it's like, I don't want that blood on my hands, but, you know, we can sell him it. Well, it'll be different, right? He'll still be alive. He'll be a slave, yeah, but he, we'd never see him again. We didn't kill him, at least, you right. know? And then you have the Joseph goes off and you have the situation with Tamara where he, his daughter-in-law, where he sleeps with her. And not only does he sleep with her and think that she's a cult prostitute, which, I mean, that's just wrong on multiple different levels, but he gives her his, his staff, his signet, his signet ring, essentially authority. So think about this for a second. He was willing to give a cult prostitute authority for payment over his son to what God's law commands he's supposed to do for his daughter, daughter-in-law. I mean, I know he lost two kids, two or two, but that's still besides the point. Yeah. He was willing to give up, to sleep with a prostitute, commit adultery, and give her everything mm-hmm. than to give her what was actually supposed to be hers. Right. And it bites him in the butt, of course, because Mm -hmm. 
she becomes pregnant and shows whose stuff she has and he realizes the wrongdoing he's done. And in this, we get to see a growth, Mm -hmm. actually see growth from this sin and from this time of conviction of where later on when Joseph is testing and trying his brothers, when he threatens to keep Benjamin Mm -hmm. because Benjamin supposedly stole with air quotes, the Royal divination cup, Judah throws himself out on the line for his brother. Ultimately those trials were, set to see if his brothers would do the same thing to one of their own that they had done to him. You see, Judah had learned from his errors, his mistakes, and was willing to pay for his life, lay down his life for his brother. But carried on in the story of where we were going down through like this idea of son of God and how the relationship was worked. I mean, Israel then stays in the land of Goshen Mm -hmm. and increases and multiplies and becomes slaves to Egyptians. Then you get Moses and he, or not he, God releases Israel from Egypt, basically. Mm -hmm. And God talks to Moses as if he was with a friend and Moses hands down is probably one of the greatest prophets besides John the Baptist and Elijah Mm -hmm. in Israel's history. And you see that they ultimately fail again. They can't keep his laws. No. Even going through Joshua and coming back to the land of Canaan, they still fail. Mm -hmm. I mean, right after Canaan, the next couple generations, you go to judges. And that just gets worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And you see there's a glimmer of hope coming back in Samuel. I mean, Samuel's you have Samuel. You have you have Saul, who starts off starts off pretty good, good, but then ultimately fails and becomes prideful. Yeah, and then David, a man after God's own heart, who ultimately ends up failing again, and has a son Solomon who builds a temple, and his heart fades away. Yeah, and then his because of that, his son loses the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. But his son was an idiot as well. That's what happens when you have a thousand wives. Over a thousand. I think he had like 900 wives and 600 concubines or something like that. Or 300 or something. That's nuts. But continue on throughout history. And both Israel and Judah start falling apart. Mm -hmm. Judah holds on and clings longer than what Israel does. Yeah. Like Israel straight away after the departure goes to worshiping golden calves again. I mean, did you not read where it says in Genesis that I can't help but laugh at Aaron's response to the golden calf incident. Yeah. Like he's standing there in front of Moses, not to like jump on the sidetrack too much, but he's standing there in front of Moses who just came off the mountain speaking to God, the only God, <laughs> the God of gods. One of the right. commandments that he has is you shall have no other gods before me. And he has Aaron who's like, I don't know. They just it just jumped out. They gave me the golden earrings, I threw it in the fire, and it came out. And this calf just came out. It and was then weird. Genesis specifically says that Aaron was the one who crafted it into it. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, I don't I swear, I'm just as surprised as you are. Right. And it's like <laughs> you did this. Yeah. You did this. 
I mean, God still uses Aaron, of course. Yeah. But it blows my mind that then Israel throws out all the Levitical priests and brings up their own priesthood through the guy's sons. And yeah. Yeah. So Judah holds on longer, but ends up just being worse than what Israel was. And so Israel's overtaken by the Assyrians and Judah's taken over by the Babylonians. And God redeems them again. But, you know, I was kind of thinking until Jesus, we talk about how the judges like start off kind of decent and it kind of just spirals downward. Yeah. But think about that applies to every redemption through Israel until Jesus. It's true. You have to the point where after they come back into the land, God promises another judgment and then the spirit leaves. The spirit's gone from Israel. You know, mm-hmm. what greater judgment is than than to not have God's spirit with them? Yep. And of course you get like all these fra- false prophets in between the time of Malachi mm-hmm. and time till you get to John the Baptist mm-hmm. saying that they can hear God like I'm the one that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it doesn't come until about the time of John the Baptist and Jesus that God's spirit really kind of comes mm-hmm. to start back up again. Yeah. Oh, and you see during those time periods it's not peace and quiet. And even in then you have the Maccabean revolt. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of bloodshed, a lot of fighting. Yeah, you have a Roman general killing over 3,000 Jews yeah. and crucifying them all. Yeah. That's one reason, too, like why Jesus refers to crucifixion so much besides, of course, his upcoming death is this was a thing that everybody had some influence with. I mm. mean, had seen and you'd had been dealt with. You'd seen the crosses outside the gates. Yeah. You know, they they weren't like hidden in the back alley. They were putting on public display. They wanted you to know these people were killed for their insurrections. They, you know, it was a public statement. Mm. I mean, it was as good as putting cutting someone's head off and putting it on a stake almost. Probably even worse. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because they weren't just dead. They were alive. And the one thing as Leonard Ravenhill says, the one thing you know about a guy carrying a cross is he's not coming back. You know, that guy hanging up on the cross, he's not coming down alive. Oh, man, just how many ways you can die on a cross is, is nuts. I will. I'm, what I was fascinated to learn about is it was such a, a pain that they they actually developed a word. Excruciating. Excruciating. It means ex from cruciating, crucian from mm-hmm. the cross. It means from the cross, pain from the cross. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's pretty painful when you have to develop a word to describe the pain that you're feeling. You die from asphyxiation. You can die from blood loss. Exposure. You Exposure because you're most likely partly, mostly naked. You're mostly naked. You you have no water. You're in a desert. Right. No water. Your organs shut down at some point in time. There's nothing stopping birds and stuff from Uh, coming and pecking off your flesh. I was reading something about, I can't remember who it was, and I was just like, oh, man, that's just, ugh. And then most of the time... When I refer to blood loss, you were flogged before you were put on the cross. So every time you have to take a breath, your back Mm. and scabs that are formed are ripped open each and every time against this jagged wood. Yeah. Oh. No, I mean, that's... Yeah, I'm thankful that they kind of 
took that away and we're not using that anymore. No, no. I mean, that's just, it's horrendous. And the cross is proof that, coming back to the catechism question, that's proof that he had to be human. Why would Christ have to be crucified if he wasn't human? Right. Because he had to feel the most painful thing. I mean, I know that it's not the pain that that saves us. Right. It's Christ drinking the cup of wrath from the Father. But he felt that pain. Right. There was a reason he was on that cross. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just to fulfill the wrath. It wasn't just for, I mean, it was for the curse. You know, it curses everyone who hangs on a tree. But it was to feel every bit of human pain. Right. I mean, it, the most excruciating pain that anyone could really ever die from, he did it. Right. We talk about how Jesus has to be that sacrifice. Yeah. Well, you can't just be God and follow the law mm-hmm. and save us. That's part of the reason why he could is because he was God and he's got only God can take his own wrath. Mm-hmm. But it is so also that if he was fully human, he could be our new federal head. I mean, he could be the one who completely follows the law and sets a new tone and standard for us to follow. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way that we're going to be able to be saved. He had to be like the first Adam. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and perfectly. And with his humanity comes, um, I think you touched on it earlier, his priestliness. Because if you have a godly priest in the sense that he's not human he's just a divine being how can a divine being that doesn't have a humanity really uh what's the word i'm looking for uh intercede for you because that would be no different than having no intercede intercessor at all right because he cannot he doesn't know what you're struggling with how can he well this is where you gotta be careful because yeah when you say about he cannot know something. Well, so, I mean, if yeah. he didn't have the humanity, I mean, right. in the sense that he, that humanity of Christ, he took on that humanity for a reason, because without that humanity, he wouldn't be that perfect intercessor right. with mm-hmm. his people. He would simply be an angel, not an angel, but like he, an angelic he, being. He, yeah. <laughs> Except divine, you know. I'm trying not to skirt heresy there, but (laughs) I'm using, you know, not correct terminology, but he wouldn't be able to be that perfect intercessor for his people, his people. He's being for a specific people. Right. He would know what these divine beings over here feel like. He can, he can know, right. But in time, in space, he comes in so that he can actually personally feel the pains of his people right okay i feel like that is a pretty good explanation okay. without trying to get getting to her article there good <laughs> yeah um so and then it gets this chance of redemption and salvation while pointing to towards this time of judgment that's coming in the future and of course new creation as well which is super exciting that's exciting. But, yeah, I mean, that's ultimately one of the reasons why. I mean, the biblical story points to it so well of why Jesus has to be fully God and yet fully human at the same time, which is a big conundrum of what 
Well, yeah, it is because it's, you know, well, I mean, the hypostatic union, Chalcedonian Creed, you know, he's fully God, he's fully man. What does that look like? Jesus Christ. That was the point. Mm-hmm. You know, he. what shall you compare God to? Uh, Not nothing. apples. Not apples. <laughs> More like water. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's an egg. <laughs> it's an egg. <laughs> it's like a person. No. There's nothing you can compare God to because he's God. He's the, by definition, a self-sustaining, independent being that needs nothing. So anything that you describe as something that he created, especially because you're his creation. Mm-hmm. And so how do we know how the hypostatic union works? Well, we really don't. It's like we kind of take it, for lack of a better word, in faith. <laughs> in faith, because scripture clearly teaches that he was human. Right. But it clearly teaches that he was divine. You know, we and, not need to say that he's 50% divine and 50% human because, well, then he's not really God and he's not really a man. I don't, he's some weird being. Yeah, he's like a demigod. He's like a demigod, <laughs> which would be Gnosticism. Oh, I thought that was Greek mythology, but... Well, Gnosticism. Yeah. Gnosticism. That's based off of Greek mythology yeah, a little bit. Gnosticism. But. Yeah, which is be exactly what Gnosticism was trying to say. He didn't, he wasn't actually you know he wasn't actually human see because you know if he had flesh he'd be evil so he's he's really not no i'm grateful and thankful that jesus christ really is yeah okay so fun that wasn't as bad as you thought it was gonna be no i was pretty nervous then we (laughs) skated close to heresy but we're good (laughs) maybe stay clear of it (laughs) i got a question that's kind of gonna really tease into spiritual discipline and i mean we've been going at this for a little bit now so we'll take a little break from the catechism and maybe we'll get back to it maybe we won't Maybe we use two catechisms so i think that's pretty reasonable yeah all right so when jesus is talking to the people and he is kind of imploring them maybe give me one second i'm gonna look at the verse Basically, I'm just going to read out of Matthew chapter 11. Okay. And we're going to be at verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Or chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I know you're wondering why I've chosen this one to kind of go over a little bit. But when we think of spiritual disciplines, how in the world do we get to this idea of my yoke is easy? Mm. Because if you really think about it, sometimes when you get things scheduled like, oh, man, I got to have an hour quiet time every single morning. Mm -hmm. I got to 
I gotta pray, man. I gotta fast. I mean, yeah. as humans, we really easily build up so much busyness in our schedules, mm-hmm. and I mean, it loses the heart behind of what the spiritual disciplines really are meant to be. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, we really get caught up in that. Yeah, and we kind of miss the point of what's going on here. We quickly fall into legalism. Absolutely, we really get to the point of where Jesus really gets on to the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. I mean, we so easily get pharisaical in our thinking and we miss it. Yeah. Everyone wants to go through scripture and slam the Pharisees, but really when we look at our own lives, we're probably just the same. Right. Not very far off from where they no. were. No, I have to, you know, I, I have to, even saying I have to read my Bible every day, that could even be a form of legalism if you carry it out a certain way. Right. I mean, it really gets to that idea behind of where, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Mm-hmm. How do we really learn at this point of where to go? Because in learning the spiritual disciplines, we're trying to find something that helps bring joy in our life. Mm-hmm. Not to where it is a burden is a burden not to where we're trying to lay in people down. Yeah. Not going to give you 12 steps to a better spiritual life. Right. But at the same time, like it we want you steps. to, <laughs> we want you to know that there are benefits to this, yeah. that it's going to help you. Yeah. But I know that in my own life, I struggle with where my spiritual life mm-hmm. is based off of, Oh, have I been doing this lately? Have I been doing that? Like mm-hmm. if I'm not doing that, I don't feel happy. I don't feel joy. And Paul Washer, I hope you never listen to that part because I know exactly what you'd say. Um, I don't. I think we're safe. I don't think he's going to listen to this. I don't think he's ever going to listen to this podcast. It's okay. Right. And trust me, I, Paul Washer, I understand. I need to work on my spiritual life a lot. We do. I was thinking as you said that, it's, it reminds me, the spiritual disciplines and going over them is kind of like a bathtub. So we have a bathtub and we're sitting in it and there's a thermometer. If you turn on the hot water too much, too much spiritual disciplines, we get burned. Sometimes we need to counteract. We have to understand you have to mix some cold in. I don't mean, you know, not doing it. I mean, you have to take the spiritual disciplines and apply them to your own life, break them down. And how do they work for you in your life? Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean well, you know, reading my Bible really interferes with my video game playing time. So I'm going to have to cut out probably, you know, that 30 minutes of Bible reading time. I'm only going to be able to do 10 minutes because I really need my video game time. Okay, now we're going to have a talk about <laughs> about heart issues here. And, and <laughs> But what I mean is, hey, I have a busy life in the sense that I'm very active in church. You know, I'm sure me and you can relate to this. We're, we're fathers, we're husbands, we're active in church. Sometimes I do have two hours to sit and meditate on God's word. But sometimes I need to spend that with my family because I've been running around. Mm-hmm. And I need to sit with my family and spend time with them. I need to play with my son. I need to talk to my wife um, because I actually haven't had a chance to do that in my busy schedule. Would I be faithful christian if i said sorry hun 
I can't talk to you today. I I really need to get my two hours of Bible reading in. Mm-hmm. I'd be failing, really, at, at the sacrifice of one, of attempting to grow spiritually. In one area, I would be failing my wife and my son in one area. So I'm not really growing at all. I'm really just polishing one area while the other one gets tarnished. Yeah, and realize that we're not going to be perfect at doing this. I mean, that's part, we're still sinful creatures. Mm -hmm. We still fail in the flesh. But I think that's ultimately, when we go into the spiritual disciplines, we have to remember the gospel and what it does. The basic tenets of the gospel is that there's nothing that we can do, that it's a gift that has been given to us. And that God is the one who has given us all the righteousness and he's taken our sinfulness. Yes. I mean, he's in, Puted that, given that to us. Mm-hmm. So realize that when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, that there is nothing that is in your spiritual discipline life that is going to get you to heaven. Yep, absolutely. It's going to bring you closer to him, yes, but if ultimately you think that your spiritual disciplines are what gets you to heaven or that you do this so strictly that it is your right to go in, then you are missing that heart. You are getting to the point of where you realize that you sacrifice more than you have mercy. Yeah. And I really think that's what Jesus is trying to hammer on here in Matthew. I mean, he talks about it later on in Matthew 23 of where he's talking to the Pharisees and he tells them kind of gives this idea of burdens again. It says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Mm-hmm. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their philosophies broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. No man, your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I think it's a great, that's a good verse to meditate on when you're going through the spiritual disciplines, that what should growing, well, okay, the name of our slogan for our podcast to be conformed to the image of God, to be conformed to the image of Christ. What did Christ do? Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself to the form of a bondservant, taking on human flesh and dying a death, a painful death. But he humbly took that on. Growing in spiritual disciplines should make you more humble. Growing in spiritual disciplines should make you more Christ-like. If you're growing in spiritual disciplines and become more like the Pharisees, you're doing it wrong. Right. I feel like we should, I need to put a board up, like reminding me of all these things. Cause really the part of where I get caught in is this idea of pride and knowledge. Amen. Me too. Is where you get into this idea of where, you know, a lot, like you know, that you're reading even like the idea behind prayer, public prayer. Yeah, that's great. But how much do you really do privately? And I mean, are you bragging about that? If you're bragging about that, then you're missing the whole point. <laughs> Journaling. 
I know that's one thing like Donald Whitney points towards because mm-hmm. I mean you look towards the Psalms and Proverbs, and you could yeah those were something somebody wrote out as forms of literature that mm-hmm. aren't exactly like telling a story or being historical fact. It's really looking at all these spiritual disciplines and saying. I could do all these for the rest of eternity and I still wouldn't get to the finish line. No. The only thing that makes me closer to God is Jesus Christ and he's already done it. And the only way I can get to God is through Jesus Christ. And if I try to grow in my spiritual life apart from Christ's spiritual work in our lives, then, well... I'm really just pedaling a bike, or stationary bike. I'm moving really fast, but going absolutely nowhere. All my efforts equate to nothing. Yeah, we kind of look like whitewashed tombs on Mm. the outside, but we're really dead on the inside. I got what you meant. (laughs) Yeah, but that's really just something I wanted to touch on because we talk about doing these things, and it's so easy to get into that mindset of legalism. Mm. It is. I kind of like how in one of Paul Washer's sermons, actually, he talks about the four basic or some four basic tenets. And before obedience comes up, he actually talks about how joy should come before obedience. Mm-hmm. Because if joy isn't what's f- fueling your obedience, then you're really going to get stuck in that performance lifestyle. Yeah. And I know that's where I get caught up in a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I'll do it perfectly. But it's so easy to get caught up like, I'm not doing this enough. I'm not doing that. When in reality, like when you get in those thoughts, look what Jesus has already done for you. It doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I say this loosely. Like it doesn't matter how well I read my Bible. It doesn't matter how well I pray. I mean, in those things of themselves, they are not going to get me to heaven. Mm-mm. Jesus has given himself for me. He has put himself on the cross for me. And God sent him to do that. And his blood cleanses me more than whatever this could do. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm pursuing him. Mm-hmm. Because I want to be a good wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking a biblical metaphor is like... The bride. Yeah. The bride I'm of supposed Christ. to be a good bride. I'm supposed to purify yourself but what bride in any marriage should go through the motions to simply be a good bride well you don't go through the motions you love your husband you love your redeemer you should without anything else no matter what you should pursue out of love Mm -hmm. sounds like everybody's moved inside now (laughs) i think they have Uh it's probably pretty dark out there though but I want you guys to keep that in mind. I loved getting to talk about the catechism. Mm-hmm. It was really on my heart today lately to think about my yoke is light. Um, it was a good verse to bring up for that. Because it's a great introduction into what we're going and, through. And I am uh, very excited to jump into spiritual disciplines and not to, in my opinion, not to teach on it, really just to read it and grow. Yeah. I've read through Donald Whitney's book a couple of times now. In fact, I, that's what last time I was teaching children's camp, that's yeah. what we were going over in the morning devotions was those things. 
I've been enjoying. This is the first time I'm going through it, and I'm listening to it in audiobook, and then also reading it too. And it's been a lot of things that I'm like, wow, that's a very good point. And <laughs> that's not the only great spiritual disciplines book out there. I think there's another one called The Habits of Grace. I don't remember who, who writes it. I think that's a more recent one. I haven't looked at that, but... Um, there's also The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Hmm. That's another one people will point towards. Those are great books, and I want to point you towards those because as a Christian, it doesn't just end at the altar. It doesn't just end hmm. right there at the end of a prayer or accepting Jesus into your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really goes into this idea of where we're becoming more conformed to mm-hmm. the image of God. And that's what God is shaping us towards. The disciplines should be painful. Just as Hebrew says, he chastises every son whom he receives. Right. I mean, it really makes me think of the, the chisel from the skit guys. Yeah. He's chiseling away. Yeah. It's really what the spiritual disciplines are there to do. It's not there to build you up into this beautiful gold statue or monument, but really it's just God taking the chisel and chiseling away the things Mm -hmm. that he wants until you shine with his light. Yeah, It's thinking about it. Your spiritual disciplines isn't the hammer for you to yield. It's God's hammer to yield on you. Absolutely. For sure. Well, guys, Thanks for listening to Anchored by Faith. You can find us on most major podcasting sites or find us at anchoredbyfaithpodbean.com. Feel free to be on the lookout for a new podcast on spiritual disciplines. And remember that the idea is to help both you guys and us to be more conformed to the image of God. Thanks for listening. My name is Logan Batisti. And my name is Colton Wright. Good night. And God bless.